0: I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad.
1: Welcome to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Kwas. This is episode 414 for October 18, 2012. There are four shows remaining, and today's guest is Peter Hum. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel for the show's logo and Rob Grundle for the Jazz or Bust logo. I'm still coming to you from Auburn, Alabama, where I'm going to be living for who knows how long, but I think quite a while. I've uh, taken a job as you probably know by now as the assistant director at a place called the Newsroom, a nonprofit arts center and bookstore and coffee shop here in Auburn, Alabama. It's a really fantastic town. If you uh, if you're thinking about coming down south and you can swing through here, let me know because I'd love to see you. And uh, it's really a town worth coming to. If all you know about Auburn is football, there's a, a, there's a whole lot more happening here, and I'm really excited to be part of what appears to be kind of a, an arts renaissance that's happening here in town. Also, I've been running a little survey over at my other site, jasoncrane.org, asking folks to let me know in a one question survey what kind of show they would most like to hear next, because I think I probably will, because I think I probably will do another podcast. Uh, I think it just needs to be a little broader than the jazz session has been. So far, the, the votes have overwhelmingly been in favor of doing an arts show. So a show about creative types just with a broader reach than the jazz session. So people in any discipline, which sounds really interesting to me. And I think, uh, would actually fit really well with the mission of the place where I'm now working. And so look, look for more information about that. And I'll be asking you to support it. Uh, I think I'm probably going to do a crowdfunding campaign to get it started because I don't want to be kind of in the same position I was in with the jazz session. So I think I'm going to try to raise a a big bag of money and see if we can get this thing off the ground. So stay tuned for more about that. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. Also, I encourage you to go over to jasoncrane.org and check out my other site where I'm posting news about what I'm doing out there in the world. You can subscribe to that site with an RSS reader, too, and there is a uh, an occasional podcast feed there for things like poetry readings and poetry audio uh, and probably the occasional interview before the new show gets started. Also, if you are a member of the Jazz Session, uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be playing some interviews for members only, so or I should say posting some interviews there for members only. I'll be sending out a member mailing about that, too. But just to let you know, keep your eyes on that member section because uh, there'll be three interviews that will not air on the show uh, because they're about albums that just haven't come out yet, and so I've been holding on to them, holding on to them, but I cleared with the artists to post them in the member section, so you'll get to hear three interviews in the member section that only members will get to hear. My guest today is Peter Hum. If you're at all connected to the online jazz world, the jazz blogosphere, If you will, you've probably come across Peter. He has a popular blog based in Ottawa. He writes about jazz. He reviews jazz shows and jazz albums and uh, is never shy about giving his opinion on the music, which I which I like. Peter also is a piano player, and uh, he's got a record out. We're going to hear some music from that. And then my conversation with Peter about all things Ottawa and jazz will be coming right up after the music. My guest is Ottawa pianist and journalist Peter Hum. It's such a pleasure to finally meet you and have you on the show. Thanks for being
2: here. Likewise, likewise, Jason.
1: And I, I certainly expected to be doing this, uh, in my hometown. And as it turns out, we're, we're doing it in yours. And that seems like a great opportunity, uh, not only to talk about your life as a player of jazz, but you seem really well placed to kind of give me some impression of what the jazz scene is like here in Ottawa. So maybe we could start there and just paint a little picture of your town.
2: Well, um, it's a town that, uh, that's about, what, about a million people in a very, um, spread out sense, however. So there, there are big suburbs and bedroom communities o- outside of, uh, Ottawa proper or downtown Ottawa. So, uh, I mean, we tell people that it's like Washington DC. I'm not sure if that's bang on because, <laughs> uh, frankly, I've never been there, but we're about a million people. Uh, we're about, what, fourth or fifth largest city in the country. And as far as jazz goes, uh, it's a, uh, it's very interesting town, I think, for the various, uh, uh, how to put this, cliques within the jazz community to practice their uh, practice their art. Um, we have a couple of universities here in town, and uh, I might get in some uh, medium hot water for saying this, but I'd say that none has a jazz program per se, although they have music programs that are turning out people who are doing jazz in Ottawa. Um, but, uh, what else can I tell you about? Are there full-time jazz clubs in Ottawa? Well, until recently, there was one that was indisputably, uh, a jazz club. It was a good restaurant called Cafe Paradiso, which had a policy that had, uh, live music there definitely three nights a week and sometimes four, depending on people coming through. But it was the place where, uh, you know, uh, where Sheila Jordan would come and play where uh, Dave Liebman would come and play, uh, where a lot of people hitting uh, Montreal and then Toronto or vice versa would play because we're situated uh, about four hours from Toronto and about two hours from Montreal, so it made for a nice circuit for people passing through central Canada. Okay. But unfortunately, that place closed, and uh, it's my feeling right now that... uh, two months after the demise of that club, it's not quite clear whether another place is going to rise up and do what it did. It was, for example, the only place that had uh, a piano as well to speak Mm -hmm. of. So Ottawa, for the last 20 years now, has been a place uh, which, again, I don't know what to compare this to, but uh, it's always surprised me that given its size, Ottawa basically has always had the capacity for one... "Quote real jazz club," unquote. And then there are many other places, restaurants that might have uh, a singer with an accompanist, or uh, uh, once a uh, once a month or once a week jam session. So there, there are. If you uh, poke around, you'll see that there are lots of people working, but um, but it's a different. Um, the nature of it is different. So, uh, you know, it, I've gotten a lot of. Uh, Emails from people out of town saying, well, now that Cafe Paradiso is closed, where should I play? And I'm, I'm frankly scratching my head when it comes to giving them a, a good solid answer on that. Sure.
1: And how about festivals?
2: Well, the festival here is, is um, what, 30, 30, plus years now. And I remember going to it in the early days because I grew up here in Ottawa. Um, and I mean, it started off as a, you know, with, with Dixieland at its core, but now, uh, you know, a very strong year we'll have, uh, it's, it's a 10 day festival roughly. Uh, a very strong year we'll have Terence Blanchard and Herbie Hancock and Joe Lovano and Kenny Garrett and all the guys coming through. Again, the, the, um, aspect of it being on a circuit really matters. So people will go through the last week of, uh, June. They can go, if they're really fortunate with the booking, they can go, you know, right across Canada from Vancouver to, to Montreal. I think. Sure. So that plays in its favor um, here in Ottawa. It has a, a artistic budget of, of about a million dollars, and it um, this year I thought it struck a really good mix between putting people like Dave Holland and Brian Blade um, on its main stage, as well as uh, and here I'm going to draw a blank. It's, it's just been that much water under the bridge, but <laughs> but let, let's just say that in the The year previous this part this much I can remember uh, Robert plant and Katie Lang and Elvis castell were kind of the the big big headliners uh, and the uh jazz content on the main stage where uh you could play for ten thousand people in in a park if you were lucky would have been uh returned to forever so I think there would be um for my tastes anyway a, a well a more diverse lineup on the outdoor main stage with respect to jazz and Non-jazz. And then meanwhile, there would be dozens and dozens of, um, you know, um, incontrovertibly jazzy concerts indoors at, at okay. a number of rooms that, that are good places to play.
1: Did the artistic director of the festival change in the last year or two? Is that
2: Yes, you're right on that. So the previous director, Jacques Simon, stepped down. Um, I guess it was two years ago. And he had been with the festival since its inception, in one form or another. Uh, so he would really be... For many people, he would have been the face of the festival. He was announcing shows. and He was booking things as well. And um, as the festival grew... Uh, you know other people would, would also be taking part in the booking before uh, back in the uh, 90s the festival wasn't quite so much on the circuit because it was displaced in time it was later mm. in the year it was in mid-july let's say rather than late june so it was more of um, uh, as an outlier it, it could be booked independently and that's what jacques did and he He had uh, very wide tastes and also a connoisseur's sense of what he wanted. So he would bring, you know, Harold Land from the West Coast and, and, you know, um, Bud Shank, and things like that. Right. Which uh, he's very keen on, as well as a lot of, uh, you know, out-playing guys too from Montreal. He had his uh, finger on the pulse for that as well. So um, the person in his position now is uh, a guy who is... I guess less than half his age, if, if that matters to, uh, to you or other people. And his name is Peter Cancur, who is, uh, originally from Ottawa, but now based in Brooklyn. You mm-hmm. may.
1: Yeah, I've seen him play there several times. I've seen him yeah.
2: talk yeah. to him. He's, he's certainly a guy that, uh, you should get to know. Him. Yeah. He's doing interesting things musically and then he's helping here in, um, here in Ottawa as well.
1: Uh, you are almost unique on this show. I think the only other person who kind of fits in your, your bag is maybe Chris Kelsey, who, uh, is both a, a writer, and not only a writer, but a, uh, I mean, I would say a critic, I mean, a person who looks with a critical eye on the local jazz scene, but you're also a performer uh, who plays inside that very same scene. And so I wonder what that's what that's been like for you to kind of straddle that fence, both as an artist and as a person who reports on the artistic community here in Ottawa.
2: Well, in a nutshell, it is a source of conflict. Um, I mean, just to lay things out, I mean, I, I've I've worked for the major daily newspaper here in Ottawa the Ottawa Citizen since 1990 so I'm a salaried journalist and that's how all the uh you know money to pay the mortgage comes into sure into the bank account and I've done you know journalism um I've done most of the beats that you can do in the newsroom so I started off uh, as a you know, cub reporter, as some people would have said, and, you know, going out and chasing, you know, the proverbial uh, fire trucks on the block. Um, I covered education as a beat. I covered City Hall as a beat. I covered uh, the courthouse as a beat. I wrote an awful lot of very long stories about uh, murder trials. I covered the uh, tech sector here in uh, Ottawa when that was booming about a dozen years ago. Uh, And I, I rose to... Kind of below middle management around the same time. So I was, um, you know, an assistant editor as well. And that's what's still on my business card for, the, for uh, what it's worth. Um, all that to say, um, you know, there, there are, are, um, ethical concerns that go with, um, the practice of journalism. And, and doing other things on the side, whether it's, it's, you know, music or, uh, you know, work for a charity or, or, sure. you know, any other kind of outside activity. Um, now, as far as me playing music on the side goes, um, I've had these kinds of, uh, head scratching sessions or, you know, I, I had these, Talks with, with, you know, my colleagues, my bosses every time something comes up that I'm doing something which, you know, other people might say is newsworthy. And, you know, we have to kind of, um, go around the mulberry bush a, a little bit. But, but basically, um, as far as my own journalistic practice goes, I, of course, I don't write about myself. Sure. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I don't review my own gigs. Um, and. So you're not at kind of Walt Whitman level yet where you're publishing your own books and then writing your own reviews and the Brooklyn no, Eagle. No, Or <laughs> afterward. Or and it's not quite uh you know, George Plimpton either where I'm right. going in the boxing <laughs> ring or on the football field or right. writing about being pummeled. <laughs> but the the issues extend insofar as you know, I do play with people around town and then the dilemma arises as to when they do other things Do I write about that or not I write about that? Sometimes the the dilemma comes down to, well, more recently it comes down to, well, if I don't write about it, then no one's going to write about it, and yet it's a newsworthy thing, and no one else is going to write about it because either they don't have the expertise or the time or the interest at the newspaper. I mean, jazz at the newspaper is not a must cover. Sure. (laughs) And uh, there are many other things that I do do for the newspaper, and... uh, Frankly, the blog is optional. I mean, I'm just doing it because I like doing it. And if I stop doing it, well, some people would say it's too bad you don't have the time to do it anymore, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's on the side, just as jazz itself is on the side, but it is under the auspices of the newspaper.
1: Since you started the blog, have you found – do you feel like you are more connected to the larger uh, global jazz community than when, you, when we, your only outlet was the paper itself?
2: Yeah, I definitely feel more connected, and I am really feel fortunate to be able to say that the answer to your question is yes. Uh, prior to the blog and prior to the internet, I mean, I was, I was always writing about jazz on the side, especially come jazz festival time for the newspaper. I think I've covered the festival here for 18 years or something like that, although I was meanwhile doing those other beats Sure. the other uh, 11 and a half months of the year. But uh, you know, I, I had been uh, interviewing Joe Lovano and Tom Harrell and Fred Hirsch back in the 90s, so I had all of that to go on. And, and as well, I was writing a, a CD review a week or something like that for the newspaper. But once... The blog started, which was uh, four and a half months, four and a half years ago, excuse me, and that was um, my own initiative, just to go and say to someone, you know, what if I wrote this for you on the blog, because the newspaper was keen on having bloggers. They said, sure, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Then yes, it, it turned out that over whatever period of time it was that I guess I came onto other people's radar and... You know, I'm not very good at measuring things, but it it would seem that, um, you know, the, the readership of my blog, such as I can tell is, is all over the place. And I guess for want of a word, it's, it's international.
1: Yeah. And I certainly see, you know, via social media and just via the comments that people, of people who get involved in discussions on your blog that you are, you know, considered in the same breath with the very few other jazz journalists that people can name. I mean, there's there's a very small community of people who write about jazz who other people know exist, and you're certainly part of that mix, which seems pretty exciting. Well, you're what,
2: I'm sorry to cut you off, but what's, what's Patrick's phrase for it? We're, we're jazz famous. Yes, exactly.
1: Like jazz famous. Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: And, and we're only able to joke about that because we've actually met, you know, in yeah. the same room a couple times at jazz festivals, so I, I can <laughs> <Right>. say that. <laughs> About a, a real human being that I've met, as right. opposed to someone that I've just uh, emailed. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so, for years, uh, people have been able to uh, see you perform and hear uh, recordings of your live performances on the radio and, and that kind of thing. But now, uh, and for a while now, they've been able to hear an album called The Boys' Journey. Will you tell me about the kind of the genesis, the journey to that record and uh, its origins?
2: Well, I'm late to the game. In, in that respect, uh, of putting out a CD, I mean, years and years and years ago, when uh, I'm nearing 50 now, but when I was in my teens, I was getting into jazz the same way that uh, most people my age probably were, through high school music programs and and through friends friends that were like-minded. So a lot of friends that I have from high school, and especially in university, where I did not study music, but hung out an awful lot with people who did. Uh, I mean, they are serious players as opposed to you know, serious journalists right. who <laughs> do something else, play the piano now and, now and again. Um, now the, uh, I was very fortunate to have, um, through those people and through other circumstances to have had, you know, very, um, uh, you know, I was right up against the window of, of really strong uh, jazz in those days, either uh, as a someone in the club, you know, every night watching Woody Shaw play or uh, Zoot Sims play. Um, or I was very lucky back then to have played with a few people like uh, these are, you know, top Canadian players. I think people would agree. Sonny Greenwich, the guitarist uh Phil Nimons, the clarinetist, Reg Swagger the guitarist, and, and that was only by virtue of the fact that in the town that where I went to university, which is Kingston, Ontario, that uh you know, that they, they picked me as opposed to the other guy who, you know, might have been um you know, suited to do the gig. So I, I was able to do that. And then around that time and, and soon after I was able to play with uh, people who you know, are, are are monstrously good now. Um, as far as me arriving to the point where, despite being a journalist who uh, you know, had a lot of um, passion for music and was writing about music and was doing the occasional gig to get to the point where I wanted to make a disc, the spark, I suppose, for that was just... Uh, uh, you know, a midlife crisis or almost <laughs> midlife crisis of some sort. You know, my, my father passed about seven years ago and the disc is dedicated to him and the title track is, is a sort of response to his passing because the journey that he made it was one where he was born here in Ottawa uh, back in the 1920s, but because his mother uh, died, he and my grandfather went back to China when he was four so that that leg of the journey is you know the train ride across Canada and then the boat ride across the Pacific and then you know more transportation to get inland in China and then he made the journey back about a decade after that in in reverse and and uh, you know came back to Ottawa and the, the rest is history so the the his passing which was 7 years ago as i mentioned and then you know, me starting a family right around that time, it, you know, makes you reflect on, you know, what are the important things you want to do? And um the answer to that question was, well, I'll uh, I'm going to try and make a disc, which is what I did, with the help of some very good musicians, of course.
1: You talk about uh, putting together the material for the album was that did that post date your decision to record a record and now I have to write the music or were you kind of collecting compositions throughout the years and
2: I was always writing music on the side but the disc did prompt me to write a few more things there are 10 tracks I think and maybe maybe half were written with the notion that, well, they are going to be on the disc, whereas mm. the other five were already out there in the world. Something like that. I mean, like, you know, as a journalist, I'm kind of deadline inclined. And so having that, uh, you know, having the project there did did spur me to write some more, I suppose. Can you talk about your approach to
1: writing? Would you say you're it seems like people break down into the inspirational side or the craft side? They, I get up every morning and write for half an hour or the something strikes me out of the blue and i go and get it down before it disappears are you on in one camp or the other or some mixture of the
2: two i would have been more of the former striving to be more of the latter so as far as getting up early to write this is going to sound pathetic to some people for in recent memory, that was more true of getting up to write the uh insert the expletive here the blog right <laughs> so I was blogging first i mean life's all about priorities, I suppose, but you know sure. my family, my work, my blogging, and the music, and you know we would shuffle these things depending on you know what what's coming up um but you know some of those tunes came out. Like the the title piece for my father, a boy's journey, it did come out very fast. You know, I just started from, you know, a certain chordal thing, and then the rest of it came out. And later on, I tacked on the intro. But uh, other things, you know, uh, I really admire the people who do and uh, who do get up and find that hour to write music, as opposed to words about music, and. um i find i did find that I was able to get in that zone uh not as much as I would have liked to, but I was able to do some of that for some of the material on that disc will you talk about the very
1: fine players who are on that album with you
2: Well that would be a pleasure um they're all they're all uh you know long standing and uh marvelous friends of mine uh it really felt although they had not played together for, uh, you know, previously. It, it really felt like some kind of reunion insofar as, uh, for example, the bass player, Alec Walkerton, who lives in Montreal. Uh, he is originally from Ottawa, and we went to the same high school together. And uh, we are close enough so that uh, I was his best man not once but twice. <laughs> um And then the drummer on the disc is Ted Warren, who's fantastic, fantastic drummer who uh, works like crazy in Toronto, uh, lives outside of Toronto. Um, And he and I played in a combo at McGill University in the late 80s. So we go back as well. But I don't think that we ever played with Alec, although he was in the same city. But I did play with Alec at that time. Now, the two other musicians on the disc are saxophonists. And they are both from Ottawa, and they're both younger than me. Um, And so I was lucky to play with them as as they were uh, coming up. So Kenji Ome, who's a magnificent, uh, mostly tenor player, uh, he lives in uh, Seoul in South Korea these days. He's been there for a number of years teaching. and He has a wife and two kids now. But he and I played in the early 90s when he was in his late teens, and uh, he would be back here during the summer, but he was otherwise studying in Toronto. And he was in uh, New York for a number of years in the late, uh, late 90s. Um, I think he studied with Antonio Hart, for example, Um, you know, played in Jimmy Heath's big band, you know, was out playing at Smalls all the time, you know, he, he was really rubbing shoulders with all those guys. And we'd know much more about him if he'd uh, wasn't living in in Seoul, sure, but he does come back uh periodically to visit his folks and and so you know I recorded with him in one instance um, because of that and in fact uh you know we were back in the studio uh, at the end of last year um, but yeah Kenji's great and he 's got a a disc out, which is probably out on iTunes even. Though it's uh, you know a made in Korea disc, and it's got um, I hope I get this right. It's got Aaron Goldberg and Gary Wang and Mark Ferber. So wow. his Brooklyn friends and, sure. and and Aaron and you know doing Kenji's tunes and it it, it sounds great. He's just you know he's under the radar because he's on the other side of the world. And then last but not least by any stretch is um, a young saxophonist who again is originally from Ottawa. His name is Nathan Sepulinski. He's about 24. And, uh, you know, I've been playing with him since he was about 14. And I just watched him uh, because of his um, incredible combination of talent and work ethic just shoot up at an incredible rate. So, you know, at 14, he was, well, that's promising. And 15, he was like, wow, that's that's going places. And 16, it's like how how did you (laughs) surpass us all so quickly and um he went to berkeley on a full scholarship he was uh one of the uh clifford brown uh IAJE all-stars before that he's living um uh north of harlem now i think in new york and, and making a go of things but that guy is uh you know he is very very talented musician and uh to see him come up so quickly has really been something. So it was the four of those guys and me back in the studio in 2008. And, um, you know, it was just a really kind of a milestone experience for me musically to get together with these guys and see what happened.
1: I think it's fair to say that in in the states there's kind of a magnetic pull to New York for most musicians when they get out of music school, or even the ones who don't go to music school, which seems infrequent these days. Is there a is there a similar pull to any location here in Canada? Do people say, okay, now it's time for me to go to Toronto or go to Montreal or wherever and
2: make a go of it? Well, that's my sense of things that 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 is the case, or, or certainly in recent years it has been the case. Maybe. I mean, there are there are examples to the contrary, and we can talk about those. But I would think that, in general terms, that the most promising musicians who were coming out of Ottawa in their teen years, such as Kenji, and the um, you know 20 years ago, and Nathan, uh, you know, less than 10 years ago, they had to split. So Kenji went to Toronto, and Nathan went to Berkeley. But um, yeah, Toronto would be, as I see the 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 next crop coming up, they tend to go to university if they can at uh, places like uh, McGill University in Montreal, uh, University of Toronto, uh, Humber uh, Humber University, formerly Humber College, uh, Mohawk. And these are all sort of around Toronto, more or less. Uh, York University, and all places with
1: jazz, formal jazz yes, programs. Yes, yes,
2: okay. yeah, definitely jazz undergraduates.
1: Sure. Is there a uh, – I've been talking about this recently on the show, and more and more the answer seems to be no in the U.S. Uh, to this question, which is, is there a, still a, a city-based sound, with the exception of obviously there's a New Orleans sound? Uh, and some people still might differentiate between the East and West Coast of the United States, although I, given the kind of homogenization of everything because of jazz school – it seems like you know the detroit sound or the philly sound or whatever is kind of going away as as you look at the different scenes uh, to whatever degree you can answer this question in canada is there a is there a difference between sounds in various places is there a different approach to improvisation or even a different uh you know kind of subgenre of the jazz world specialized in any particular
2: location i think that my sense of things is that in most of the Canadian cities, there are many jazz uh, sub-genres represented. But in from city to city, the balance will be different. And maybe that's the same in the States, too. And it can be a function of a lot of things. In here, in Ottawa, I think it's a, a function of the um, universities. So, um, I'm trying to think of some concrete examples. I mean, in... Vancouver, for example, will have like a, it has a very strong kind of, um, you know, mainstream, blue note, revering kind of core of musicians, swing really hard and, and, you know, love to play that material, love to play that feeling. Um, and that they will have, uh, you know, a base of operations thanks to, uh, the great jazz club, uh, the cellar that Corey Weeds, the saxophonist and right. Jazz and runs. So there's that in Toronto, or sorry, there's that in Vancouver. But at the same time, there's also uh, a tradition of of outplaying in Vancouver that's very strong. Um, you know, there's uh, and they they have a record label as well called Songlines. that's based in Vancouver, but also uh, puts out records by other people. But I I think that that and other um, you know, there would be other, um, uh, other things that help, uh, nurture and nourish the, the more, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, the creative musicians and the free improvisers that are out there in Vancouver as well. And in Montreal, I mean, you could say the, the same kind of, um, cliques exist. And, uh, you know, that can even break down on, Along linguistic lines, sometimes some sure. people might try to make that case in Montreal, and in Toronto, you know, you have um, you certainly have sort of a mainstream core and an older guard of, of players, and you have uh, I'm trying I'm struggling to remember the acronym, but there there's a a group of improvising musicians of, of Toronto as well that, that play at a, a number of venues and try to do their things. So, is there? is there a sound that's associated with each city probably not in 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 a you know in in a singular way but there might be a sound that's associated with a certain subgenre of a certain city because uh in Vancouver a lot of people use you know the same kind of um you know, killing, swinging rhythm section of, uh, you know, these these three people, like Tilden Webb and on piano and Jody Prosnick on bass and Jesse Kale on drums. So, you know, people will play with them or record with them. You know, Peter Bernstein went down and did a couple nights and that was recorded. So that would, you could say that that's sort of a Vancouver sound that's predicated simply on the uh, justified popularity of that rhythm section, for example. Sure.
1: And how about jazz on the radio, which is becoming a uh, like a unicorn in the U.S. in a lot of ways? Uh, what's it like up here?
2: I'm not the right person to ask about no. that. I'm afraid. Okay, uh, I haven't I haven't seen the unicorn in, in years. <laughs>
1: In that case, maybe you are the right person to ask about. My guest is a pianist, a writer, and a, a, I meant that in the sense of, of music, but also a writer in the sense of, as a journalist, Peter Hum. It's been such a pleasure to meet you in person, finally. I feel like it's years overdue, and thank you for being here on the
2: show. Well, it's been a real pleasure, Jason. Thank you. Thank you.
1: That's music from Peter Hum. Thank you so much to Peter. Thanks also to uh, Renee Oxen and Craig Peterson, who lent their house to that interview, which is very nice. <laughs> Made it a lot easier to do. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Quass. Please do follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can also join my mailing list, either at thejazzsession.com or jasoncrane.org. You can access it from both sites. And I do encourage you to check out jasoncrane.org if you want to keep in touch with me and stay up to date with what I'm doing between now and whenever the new show launches. And now, if you would, get out there and support live jazz and come back next time. You know, it occurs to me now each time that I say this come back next time line that in just a few weeks, I will not ever say it again. Which is weird. I still haven't figured out what I'm going to say on the very final show. Don't ever come back again? I don't know. I'm figuring it out. Anyway, get out there and support live jazz. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.